Two masters of the mixed immersive arts join us today. These fellows create multi-layered immersives in New York City that fuse gameplay, reactive narrative, and infinite endings. They are the intersection between acting prowess and game design. I give you Ian McNeely and Austin Anderson of Broken Ghost Immersives. There, it feels like a real physical flesh and blood memory, and it was an immersive experience. So it's going to get wild. Maybe it's about coming into relation with one another and with ourselves. It's not about winning or who can be the most organized, but kind of like who can enjoy the mess the most or who's ready to play. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse, and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. Ian, Austin, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. We are excited too. We can't wait to talk a little bit about immersive performance. And all the immersive things. All the immersive things out there. All right. So to start off with a relatively simple question, um, I do have to ask what immersive world or what fantasy world, what fictional world, I should say, um, would you guys live in? Uh, this is an easy one. I would go to Star Trek because it's a world that has uh, evolved beyond material possessions. Everyone lives mm. a happy, productive, fulfilled life. Their best version of themselves. Star Trek all the way. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Darn. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the tank and die. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're gonna. I'm going to do left of center. I'm going to say I'd go to the Farscape world. I'll take your spaceship idea and double down. Okay, okay. Not because it's going to be a more comfortable life, but I guess, like, if I'm going to get weird in a fantasy world, I'm going to get weird. Let's get weird. Where would you go? Where would you go in the Farscape world, Austin? That's a very specific choice. It's Yeah, it's a choice I made without thinking about that wonderful question you asked me. Um... I don't yeah I, I mean I want to be on a spaceship and explore right like if you're going to go into space land I want to kind of get the the buffet the sampler pass yeah cool. of course that makes I, a whole mean, lot of sense the truth of that answer is that I would probably die rapidly um but it'd be good while it lasted maybe <laughs> that's the trick with the question too because so many of the uh the lovely fantasy worlds out there are driven by um, very torrid conflict. And so like the Star Trek answer is definitely one that I like is like, actually, for the most part, things in the Star Trek universe are relatively okay. Yeah. It's one of the few universes that isn't defined by how it murders people. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your guys's path to immersion, um, specifically to the format that you guys are working with presently. Well, we actually studied um, performance together, acting, but specifically like Shakespearean acting uh, okay. in, in undergrad. Um, and 
maybe that's part of the reason why I love the the Star Trek world because it's so painfully Shakespearean. <laughs> um, but that's kind of where we uh, developed our love of language, our love of story that uh, unfolds in sort of a theatrical way, as opposed to mm -hmm. other mediums that are more based in things like dance or spectacle and atmosphere. I think ours is very much tempered in language and talking. Um, and also we're both uh, just big gamers. We love role-playing games. We used to play at our apartment, uh, in college and after college role-playing games. And um, mm -hmm. those two seem to have sort of a natural relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit. I think that's entirely fair. Um, I feel like a lot of the, the world of immersion has come from some form of gaming because that game format is, I feel like the easiest and one of the most fun ways to interface, engage with uh, interactive experience. What about you, Austin? What was your path to get here? I, I, would, I mean, you said we. I was hoping that, <laughs> that I would get a ride on your coattails. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep going from what you said. Uh, we went to college together. After college, we continued that love of Shakespeare. We formed a Shakespeare company. Uh, did that for a while, and then both kind of scattered off into the winds to do professional theater and um, get master's degrees in various disciplines. Mm -hmm. And we came back together and started kind of saying, you know, we love games. We love storytelling. We love theatrical storytelling. It might be kind of nice if we had a play that was like a game. And we had read about other things that were happening in that sphere. And we just started trying stuff. We just early, like we did one summer where we just had no real goal except to experiment and come up with different experiences. And that was a ton of fun. Oh, yeah. And from there, uh, I moved back to the West Coast. And Ian was in New York. And he started putting on shows. And I started coming up with ways I could perform in them that was remote. Mm -hmm. And those two avenues kept being fun and fruitful. And we kept going in that direction. Yeah, it's funny. At first, That's I thought that would be sort of a detriment, right? To try to incorporate a remote performer, but I think it ended up being one of our real signature pieces. Every single thing we make has an interesting component with someone that's not there physically, but is controlling the event to some degree or performing at the event to some degree uh, remotely. And of course, that's Austin. Austin is the performer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that you kind of speaking on your guys' mutual love of language and literature, um, also could be interpreted as kind of a manifestation there because I feel like you guys leverage language and that type of thing um, within the event or within the experience um, more than is standard, um, more than one that, you know, say has all actors there. You guys have the iPads, you guys have these different things that are written out in that format that definitely is conducive to a very multifaceted kind of thing, um, which is really, really interesting to see. I feel like in many ways, I'm, or at least I would hope that, say, the escape room industry could start to take some cues um, because I think there's a lot more to do there with um, people being engaged in the experience and not just the environment, um, engaged, socially engaged on a multitude of levels. That's interesting you'd bring that oh, up. Oh, sorry. I, what were you going to say, Austin? 
No, yours sounds like it's more of a well-formed thought. Go for it. Well, in New York, I was actually just at a gathering last night of many escape room uh, creators and aficionados, people that are just really into escape rooms and the state of the industry. And in New York, they're having like a long, dark midnight of the soul because the fire marshals came in in response to the terrible tragedy in Poland. And they've shut down, I think, maybe half of the, the escape rooms here. And... They are being reopened very slowly until some painfully um, draconian and arbitrary rules are are met. But in the meantime, all these owners and creative users are are really thirsty for um, the thing they love, for these escape rooms. And it's a point to sort of, I don't know, reflect on the state of the industry and where it's going. But that's an open-ended question about uh, what, what is this going to be, what we want it to be. And I think traditionally there's been half, uh, there's been the escape room paradigm where people are, it's interactive and they're engaged meaningfully, and um, but it's maybe light on story. And conversely, there's like the sleep no more atmospheric world that's high into immersion, but very low on interaction. These are yeah. your only real agency is where do you want to stand? So, you know, what do you want to follow? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and to, to get back to language, I... I saw this interview or I heard it. I read it or heard it. I can't remember. I've been trying to find it for a couple of weeks now because it keeps coming back into my head. But it was with one of the creators of Sleep No More. And they mm-hmm. said, you know, we did so many different immersives where we tried to have the performers speak. And it never worked. It always felt wrong and disingenuous. And we don't do speaking things like that because of that. And I thought that was interesting because we've hmm. gone the opposite direction where we try to talk as much as we can. And the whole thing is about talking and interacting. And, and, and I mean, Sleep No More is fantastic. So it's not, a, it's not a who's right, who's wrong. It's just interesting that you could come to two very different conclusions or go in two very different directions. Yeah, that's fascinating. Huh. I had not heard that, but it is like, Especially my personal feelings on immersion is I am a really, really big appreciator of social immersion. I feel like social immersion can do a lot of different things that environmental or at least only environmental or non-interactive can. Um, To say reference um, the tension experience, for instance. I mean, yeah, of course, their sets and their whole setup was huge and incredible and ridiculous. Um, but there was that kind of psychological social dynamic that was able to drive that experience and, you know, drives your guys' experience. And of course you have the different characters in different bunkers that are playing very different roles, but at the same time, people kind of form relationships with, which, I mean, you have to wonder if that even would have been possible, you know, pre pre readily available, just smartphone era. I mean, even if you had, I am where people adjusted enough to kind of, having that emotional discourse within the within a digital space well i do think or having most of our users are in their 30s or maybe 40s and that's kind of a generation of people that grew up on instant messenger at least i did i spent a lot of hours on i am mm-hmm. um so there's something very familiar it's like going home to get on a tablet and start t- uh, typing to somebody <laughs> yeah, yeah just having the the, the ability to communicate through text that quickly, right? I mean, I don't know about your parents, but when I send my parents a text, <laughs> the thing that I receive back is generally barely English and, <laughs> and a, a 
cipher to look through. Um, and it takes a little while. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if a couple of years ago people would just have that shorthand for, oh, I type with two thumbs and I hold the device in my hand. And it's a perfectly normal way for me to converse with somebody else. And it feels normal and connected. Right, right. Um, and of course, I believe I heard an anecdote. I think this was on um, your No Pro interview um, about someone like spending some time flirting with one of the characters um, and then their parents being in the bunker or something like that, um, which I thought was yeah. incredibly funny. Um, I know it might not have been as much so to be inside of that particular social encounter um, in real life, but that's uh, it, I don't know. It was very funny. I think inside <laughs> and out, that was hilarious. But again, that's that's spe- you know, and that that speaks to what you said before, where I think a lot of people that's how they interact romantically too, right? You're on dating apps, and your initial like really your first date is talking through text with people, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't I don't use dating apps. I'm married. Can either of you? Am I am I way off base there? Or is that true? Yeah, uh, yeah. Some awkward text. Right? Like that's how it always starts. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that there's quite a bit of truth to that. And I think that there's definitely going to be more and more truth to that as um, younger people start to engage in the immersive world, because that that is so much more their world than it was ours having come from, you know, being used to email and instant messaging, whereas they, you know, have like that is the social staple from my understanding and i don't know too much of of how how the uh like the teenagers do the things um but i know that that is definitely a much more significant component let me tell you it's gonna get wilder i was just watching a video that's been making the rounds on the internet of a pastor inside vr chat where you have like an avatar and it's like the matrix you're in a vr headset talking to other cartoon looking characters and they were doing a baptism. Oh, and this, this pastor with took this anime avatar and dunked her head under virtual water in the Mario world, and they had a whole thing. Huh. So it's going to get wild. Wow, that's... I don't know how to incredible. feel about that. I would almost think that we are antithetical to that because I'm not a, like a church-going dude, but if there was something I admire about church and the institution, it's that a bunch of people have to get together in a space and share a social event that is all about dynamic proximity and what people think and feel and believe. Uh, and uh, we, even though we're not a religious thing, we still have people in, religi- or in um, dynamic proximity and they're talking to each other and about the things they care about, um, except in ours, it's like, you know, how are we going to survive this horrible bunker? <laughs> um, but uh, I wonder if you lose the thing that makes coming together powerful if it's not in a physical physical space. I mean, you have to to some degree. And I think that that's, that's a really, really interesting um, conversation for the world of immersion overall because – it comes down to this idea that immersion has, especially social immersion um, of all forms and shapes creates this really interesting dynamic that connects people in a way that I think is incredibly unique. And I think has a lot of potential for our culture that does tend to be, or does tend to 
become increasingly uh, more isolated in many ways. Mm. And I think immersion has a lot of potential to kind of maybe provide some variety of antidote for that. But at the same time, once you start introducing the VR and AR side of that, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a very curious question. It's really interesting because those, when you look up immersive or immersion, immersives or immersion, you get those two extremes. You get 12 people in a tiny room together having this very dynamic, very personal social interaction, but the same groups who talk about those immersive experiences often are keyed into VR and AR, which are almost in some ways are the opposite. I don't know. I'm not, I might not be as extreme as Ian because I kind of feel like I see how that circle loops back around. Like I see how there still is this dynamic feeling because you're interacting with a person right. compared to a right. video game where I'm interacting with, you know, code and, and things like that. But it's just, it's, that's very interesting that those two things seem so far apart yet kind of keep bumping into each other in similar ways. Yeah. Um, and okay. So we, we do have to move on to our uh, little game segment, make it immersive in a second here, but I do have to ask as someone who has spent a decent amount of time within the escape room industry, um, in particular one that actually had room monitors in the room as opposed to remote, um, and, you know, monitoring through a camera. Um, it was always a, an, an adventure to kind of work with the groups and try and get them to become cohesive. Um, what has that experience been like for you guys, especially bringing together groups of people who don't necessarily know each other? Well, I think um, because there is such a varied uh, composition to any given audience. Sometimes they're one whole group that are like a birthday party. Sometimes it's a mm -hmm. bunch of singletons or couples. Um, because there's so much variety, it, onboarding is really key. And of course, in all of yeah. these immersive, immersive performances, onboarding is always incredibly key because no one ever really knows what they bought a ticket to until they do the thing. And um, yeah. so to answer your question... I think you have to go piece by piece really um, in a really linear fashion and kind of hold people's hands so that the, maybe a good metaphor is like you can get the plane into the air, you know, you got to go through the takeoff and that involves mm -hmm. teaching people the rules, the social contract, you know, what's appropriate, what's not. Uh, right. Uh, and just making them feel comfortable. Cause if people, if people understand what's happening, then they can focus on, on playing and cohesion and coming together or, uh, you know, competition. Some groups are more interested in being, uh, in conflict and that can be fun too, as long as there's enough of a boundary that people understand to play around. Yeah. Yeah. And I always found that the groups that just over communicated typically wound up doing the best. Like I think one of the fastest groups I ever go or watch go through a room in, in that context was a group of call center reps, which I thought was hilarious, like <laughs> having professors, having military, having police going through these rooms. And it's a group of call center reps that just does incredibly well. That doesn't surprise me for a second. I bet those guys can get to the point faster than anybody. Right, you right. Know, it's interesting, though, because we were just talking about this after our last uh, performance of The Bunker. The way The Bunker has ended up being set up 
those communication groups sometimes have a little bit of a hard time because they're so inf- they're so interested in gathering information and the mm. bunker is kind of an event that asks you at some point to make a choice and then enjoy the fallout of your choice right um, and so sometimes those groups end up having a hard time sticking the landing or at least from my perspective as the person who has to craft the ending I have a harder time sometimes finding the really exciting threads in those groups because they're so meticulous. Whereas a really sloppy group where someone makes a wild choice that only half the room knows about, those endings are great. Those are always fireworks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how we're like dissimilar from other events in that way where it's not about winning or who can be the most organized, but kind of like who can enjoy the mess the most or who's ready to play. Yeah, and you guys have a narrative that is so not finite that it really just can only be about the storyline and the interplay of the characters within, um, which, once again, I think is something that has not cropped up all that much um, throughout the world of immersion as of yet, and I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's really, really fascinating. All right, so to move on to Make It Immersive... I think that we should probably start with Farscape, of course. (laughs) Okay. So what do you think? What, I mean, there's that exploration aspect that you, that you had uh, brought up earlier. How do you think that that could be executed on? Okay, great. I I know where this starts. And then Austin, you can help me develop this initial pitch. It's got to be on a Leviathan, right? We've got to be trapped on the living ship. Yeah. That's the signature of the show. Yeah, you gotta stick yeah. that landing. Um, and I, I would assume, like any good story, it starts off with a huge problem. What do you think it should be, guys? What's the huge yeah. problem we encounter right off the bat? Yeah, yeah. If if, if, if it's a Farscape problem, I gotta think that that the problem has to be something that's gonna put people at odds with each other. Because really, like that show, in my mind, the essence of it was always arguing with people you barely liked. Right, right. And so you're starting with this kind of a competitive dynamic right off the bat, or at least potentially, unless you make that source of social conflict an external thing. Yeah, some sort of conflict where they're, they're, yeah, yeah, you're putting people at odds against each other. So maybe the, Uh, what was the terrible space empire uh, that Australian guy with the ponytail was chasing them? Oh, the, the, the the peacekeepers. Thank you. Nicely done. So the peacekeepers are coming. They're going to show up in half an hour and we all have to decide where we're going to take the leviathan maybe? Right. no no I, no i got my pitch i got one the peacekeeper you're on your leviathan and the peacekeepers show up uh man i had no idea we we're going to segue into farscape fan fiction or i would have been even more excited about this but oh, the yeah. peacekeepers show up <laughs> and they they send a message to your ship and say one of the members in there is a terrible fugitive oh, uh, and we don't know who they are and you must send them out to us within the next hour or we'll kill everybody oh yeah getting to a bit of a kind of you know werewolf slash mafia format there yeah, that feels very farscapey to me. And Austin, you could play the guy on the uh, the incoming screen where you show up and it's your head talking. <laughs> I'd have like some strange New Zealand accent. <laughs> Hello, Leviathan ship. 
we heard you've got a fugitive aboard. That was so. That was so many accents. I apologize to all of English speaking um, Earth besides America. <laughs> the ponytail had an epic dialect. Every time he said the other ship, the baby ship's name, Tialan, Tialan. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so these guys are, are going to kill everybody unless you can surrender the traitor who is on board this ship. That's great. I like that. I think yeah. that that has the bones right there. And you guys both definitely have me wanting to go back and rewatch Farscape because it's been far too long, apparently. <laughs> um, so then if we could briefly touch on Star Trek, if we're going for a conflict angle on the mm. Farscape thing... My head goes to diplomacy, though, of course, there are many other formats that Star Trek has been explored in over the years. Well, if we're going to talk about Star Trek, then I better throw down the gauntlet. The thing that always made Star Trek the best show ever, my favorite sci-fi growing up, was that it had that dramatic quality of a Shakespeare play. The central vehicle for solving their problems, like you say, diplomacy, I think it's talking. It's self-reflection mm-hmm. and philosophical. And, you know, that's, this is why every, every single episode Picard is struggling with issues like the Prime Directive, right? We have to wrestle with our own morality and we do language to think through these, these problems. Um, so maybe this would be a problem like, yeah, where there's – this is a classic TNG episode where there's like four different mm-hmm. ships from four different empires all around a primitive planet. And one of them is going to blow it up unless they get the artifact off the surface. And another one wants to infiltrate it with spies, like the Romulans would be doing that. And then we have to figure out a way to preserve the locals and be fair while still um, I don't know, getting the artifact or whatever we're here to do. I mean, the artifact has extreme cultural importance to these people. We have to find a way to preserve it. Yeah, on he's planet. an archaeologist. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Go. It's such a progressive value system. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, then the the trick is not to, you know, dismantle or disarm said enemies. You have to convince them to walk away permanently, which is a whole different challenge. Yeah, you have to relate meaningfully to them. So this would be a totally different uh, – you wouldn't be in your, like, fighter uh, spaceships shooting at each other. You'd have to use your words. Now, that could be interesting. Just leaning super heavily on the audience for that – emotional journey there um i feel like it would be super tricky to execute because that that onboarding would be would be intensive when Um, i show up in the um in the transporter room with my makeup on uh my blue andorian makeup it'll all come together that's the secret that's the immersive hook i had some friends go to an immersive kind of play event it was at a theater in portland oregon okay and so this is sec- this is me remembering it secondhand i didn't go but essentially they the the conceit was that they had a big pile of money and the uh, and maybe it was the the like the ticket fees were put into a bucket and the audience had to decide what best to do with that money by the oh. end of the night what did they pick oh that's interesting uh i i it, I think ultimately it was an underwhelming experience, and I remember my friends not being very happy. But that kind of general conceit seemed very Star Trekking to me, right? Like you have to make this really like civilized, you know, yeah, like highly progressive choice of how do we function as a community in a society? What are our values? What are we, you know, aspiring to do? And work through it in a really granular way. 
Yeah. And then I feel like the building it out, that process would be almost a little bit easier because, you know, there are studies around that kind of social space, those kind of social phenomena that come up and, you know, all the way through game theory, you would be able to kind of build it off of off of that as a structure and then, you know, put people into it, see how they see how they interacted. Um. <laughs> and of course that that of course in my head ties to the bunker because naturally rem- reminiscent to fallout sorry i hope you guys don't mind that comparison no but... it's so funny i've actually no. never played fallout i i really? first it was just sort of random and then once i realized that i was making something that was so incredibly adjacent to it i deliberately um siloed myself because now i'm worried i'll t- like contaminate my process a little bit huh no that's that's entirely fair that's entirely but some fair. Stuff is, but i've yeah. played a lot of fallout so <laughs> I, I cross contaminate that's you okay. all the time or i often or there's been many times where I've, when you've had an idea and i've gone that's fallout and you're that's like okay. Oh, that's, okay, that's okay. fine that's fine um no yeah. one ever thinks up things for the first time we're always stumbling into other people's trails i think naturally naturally that's that's where all the good things come from um all right, so do you guys potentially be ready to move on to a few rapid fire questions? Yes. Very ready. Excellent. All right, so um, what is one of an immersive experience that you are particularly excited about the potential of, even if it's not the present form that it's in, um, something that is poking at a new frontier of some variety? Mega games. I think mega games are an incredibly, um, in, it's the proposition is so great. We're going to put hundreds of people in a room and we're all going to work in real time, like the butterfly effect where things can just make echoes and waves around this giant group of people. But, uh, it's got a long way to go. I think it's the hardest thing to design because it's the hardest, uh, form medium to play test. So we iterate over and over again with groups of 15, they need hundreds of people or at least dozens. So it's very nascent. It is beginning and I want to see where that goes. That's a great answer. I'll say that my answer is that I'm really excited about, and not surprising, but the, the, um, uh, interactive events that happen over your browser where you're talking to someone else through a camera with a microphone. I've read about a couple They're they're kind of just starting, but there's so much potential there to have these really intimate performative experiences while you're sitting in your office or your bedroom or wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that one's definitely been a hanging question mark for a while because there is that, Hey, how, how much emotional context can you have via that digital medium? Um, and then mega games. I've actually not heard of that, which tells me that I am not doing due diligence in that area. And I definitely have some some research Check to out. do. That's Watch incredible. the skies is the the most well known one, the one that kind of put it on the map. There's a um, what's the YouTube guys? Uh, shut Thank up and you. sit Thank down. You. They do a great one. There's okay. a game in the UK with like 250 people in a community center, and it's the United Nations and aliens show up. There's a team of aliens. The Pope is a playable character. Oh, okay. It's just like the yeah, system. Definitely going to spend some time. Yeah, you love it. It's um, interesting because that's from the board game world. So if you only look at immersive stuff, you might miss it if you don't like playing board games. Um, I, 
I have done a ridiculous amount of board games. I grew up in a house that was like literally the walls were only board games, but I unfortunately have not played nearly as much in the last few years. So coming back to a John Gen Con uh, last oh. year, if you guys are familiar, it's kind of my uh, rechristening wow. into that. That world. is so cool. Um, so what are quick or a couple quick things um, that you do to get your audience engaged and immersed in the experience? I know we kind of touched on that generally before, but specifically, what do you find works with your format? Well, from my experience, often you show up at these events that you don't understand and feel uncomfortable and you don't maybe you don't know people there or you don't know very many people there. So um, some things are kind of common sense, like in, uh, name tags, for example, really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. This sounds kind of silly, but we have a fridge full of beer at the bunker. And anyone who wants is welcome to just have beer. And there's not like, um, I don't know, a bartender watching it. The point is that it's like you walked into someone's living room and it's got a casual vibe and, uh, and you set people at ease. Yeah, yeah. I like to make sure that I, I do something a lot that I, I think of maybe as mirroring or I think of David Mamet. This is going to sound super pretentious. I'm sorry. But David Mamet has this acting quote about event, invent nothing, deny nothing. Mm-hmm. And from my end, it, it works really well if you don't try to pretend that things aren't what they are. Like if someone's asking you about this or that, you answer them honestly and that I think helps people really engage with digital characters or immersive actors or just trying to be present with them. And if they want to go in a certain direction, being free to follow that thread and not feel like you have to always railroad them to, yeah, that's interesting. But my yeah. name is John and my backstory is this. I and I went, you know, like, halfway through. It, it, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's not Wikipedia, the character. It's like, you know what, if I don't ever even get to my lines that's probably going to be the most engaged interaction of the evening. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think that's definitely why social immersion is so in- tricky to pull off because I mean, even coming out of um, just like traditional theater community, I know that n- not a whole lot or at least not all of actors are super familiar with improv. And that's definitely a lot of that. Yes. And mentality there. Well, that's a real skill, isn't it? Everybody thinks they can do that. And then somebody says something you don't like, and it's really hard to be like, okay, I accept what you just said. Um, But you have to do it. There's no alternative because the minute you're in a space where performers are sort of nipping people's creativity in the bud, uh, the war is over. We've lost. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the the credibility of the people who are guiding the audience to the experiences. I don't want to say damaged, but like the the perception of the the director, orchestrator, DM, what have you, is it's shifted. It's like they walk out of the immersion real quick um, and leave the audience. It's like, hey, what happened? Yeah. Um, so what kind of impact do you think that immersive theater will have on traditional theater and theater as a whole? Well, I mean, if I were being honest, I don't think theater is in a very healthy state right now. And uh, I mean, it's made up, it's patroned by people almost exclusively in their later years. Young people aren't drawn to it. Mm -hmm. And there's no (laughs) wonder that young people aren't drawn to it because they're just sort of rehashing the same plays 
in the regions over and over again in this sort of like just add water and you have an instant play, right? The script is the thing and they can sort of franchise it. Um, or conversely on Broadway, it's just these tourist trap plays. Um, so it's not exactly my cup of tea. But then again, I'm a person like many people my age that grew up stimulated uh, who needs to interact. I need to be busy. I can't just, if I'm going to sit and watch a play, that play better be really engaging or I'm going to start to lose focus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the direction. I had a th- that's the direction sorry. I think it'll go. What were you going to say, Austin? I'm sorry. But I had a thought the other day. And I was thinking, I some regional theater, some large, well-known regional theater is going to have some semi-immersive event spark. They're going to have a hit. They're going to get a good review. It's going to create a bunch of buzz in American Theater Magazine. And I am really looking forward to then watching all of these theaters start to chase their tails, trying to figure out how to make immersive events. Um because I, I worked at a theater for a while and I worked actually in the script department. So I would see incoming scripts and we got two or three like semi-immersive or like multi-room plays, but they were not equipped to even begin looking at scripts like that. So I think there will be an influence, but I think that the uh, structure of those regional theaters is going to be really ill-equipped to deal with it in any way at all. And I will be very curious to see how all that shakes down. It could be good for us, though. I I mean, I would love to go help. I know the Denver Center is making a big investment in trying to figure out how to transition, like, you know, to build that infrastructure you're talking about, to build that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be too. There are some theaters who are thinking smartly. Denver Center, Woolly Mammoth in D.C. has done some. Uh, like pre-show immersive audience engagement stuff that has been really cool, but one of them is going to get big, and then it's going to be interesting to see. In the meantime, a lot of them are yeah. poaching um, high-profile companies from places like New York and London to to come in and do their own shows produced by places like the Denver Center, um, which is an interesting model too. Um, I don't know. It's always interesting to me how New York collaborates with the regions because geography is. Um, keeps us apart and yet we're all a part of the same american theater community it'd be nice to have more connections like that um they were producing something by third rail i think at the denver center recently am i making this up did you hear about this austin uh that sounds i was really excited but of course i'm not in denver so what are you gonna do I might be wrong, but I, it might not be the Denver Center. I can't remember the exact location off the top at the moment, but I know that Capital W was doing something in Denver as well. Um, so it, that it might have been that, but that might have been separate. Um, it makes sense, though, right? People in New York get stuck in uh, New York-centric worldview, and it'd be very easy for organizations and other places to pick them up and, and plant them in their communities. And I do kind of wonder if we're going to see something that we've seen a lot in many other areas um, being just there, there being a much lower barrier to entry to acting because, or to acting insofar as live acting, because for so long that had this kind of, you know, the very, I don't know, the almost rock star dynamic where everybody's trying to get to, you know, some of the same places. And this is, albeit speaking as someone who is on the outside, just as 
this is the outside perception of it. And, you know, actually surviving as a professional actor, I think for a long time has definitely been very tricky. Whereas with the potential proliferation of immersive experiences, like, oh, hey, suddenly does this open the gates to a degree? And suddenly this just becomes a much larger part of our culture once again. I hope so. That'd be pretty cool. Fingers remain crossed, (laughs) certainly. Um, And I think what is looking like the final question of our rapid fire around here is, what do you think is the most or one of the most important things that participants take away from an immersive experience? Hmm. That's a great question. We should have a much faster answer for that. Well, I was talking to somebody last (laughs) Um, night who'd come to the bunker, and it's kind of funny because at the time, I don't know if they had an incredible experience, but he was telling me that he had taken away the ending to Heart, that they'd had this unique epilogue based on the choices he made, and because of that, he had rehashed those choices and decisions over and over again. Um, So maybe like our Star Trek train of thought, he had been forced to wrestle with his values and his... um, uh, you know, his impulses around a, a subjective question and he was still working through it. So maybe it's about coming into relation with one another and with ourselves. Interesting. And I like that. It's like you say that he might not have had like the most like mind boggling experience in there or something that effect that effect, but one way or the other, the fact that he still walked away from it and it was still personal enough that it didn't leave his mind. It just stayed. A year later. Yeah. It's been a year since he saw the bunker. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll add onto that. That stickiness. I was the other day I had this memory of walking through this forest and I'm like, where was I? When was I walking through that forest? Thought about it for a moment. Oh. It was Skyrim. Oh, um, interesting. And and I, and I have a couple memories like that where I felt like I was there. It feels like a real physical flesh and blood memory. And it was an immersive experience or it was a play or it was a video game. And so I kind of think that that's, that's the, to my mind, like that's, that's what you're shooting for, right? Can you create these visceral, real, powerful memories, these experiences that kind of sink into you? Because uh, those are pretty cool. And that's immersive, right? Like being somewhere you're not. Yeah, that's that's immersion, especially in in your memory, in your recording of it, it not registering initially as something that was, you know, artificially created, something that registers one way or the other. You were there having having that real emotional, visceral experience that the that the context of then kind of gets lost in the shuffle of one's memories Mm -hmm. and that that emotional anchor stays. Yeah, you you stimulate the imagination so much that it takes over the other senses. And now that's the memory, not, you know, what was actually happening. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, so as, as we wrap up here, um, is there anything that you would like to ask of or recommend to our audience um, as they are listening to the Emerging Nation podcast here by any well, chance. Well, we have a whole summer full of awesome shows here in New York that we'd love to invite the audience to. Um, we have The Bunker, which is a regular show at Wildrance, our space on the Lower East Side of New York. There are uh, an event space we partner with that puts on some really exciting work. So we've got The Bunker on June 4th and 11th, and then uh, 
four more dates in the end of July, beginning of August, and also the Rogues Gallery, which we haven't had a big chance to talk about today, but it's also very exciting. It's a supervillain convention where the guests at this event get to become supervillains and work to take over the world. And that's also at the end of July, beginning of August, in rep with the bunker. Yes, yes. I, uh, yeah, I know we did not get the chance to touch on that all too much, but I am incredibly excited to hear some more about that from you guys at some point in time. Um, another example of a really um, dynamic and unique kind of social immersion that I think is kind of, kind of new at this point in time, entirely new potentially. Oh, it's a blast. And um, it's, it feels like a party with a story and uh, a game that you can interact with meaningfully. Um, and if anybody's in the city, feel free to come check them out. They're so much fun. And also reach out to me personally, uh, brokenghostimmersives at gmail.com. I'm so interested in what people have to say, what they think, their questions. Um, and I've got questions for you guys. So it is very much an open dialogue between the creators and the, the guests because we're all creating it together in the moment. And I'll do my hard plug as well. Those tickets for the Rogues Gallery in the bunker can be found on wildrance.com, W-I-L-D-R-E-N-C-E.com. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm Austin E-A, uh, A-U-S-T-E-N-E-A. And sometimes I talk about immersive stuff, or sometimes I live tweet. Uh, I live tweeted a, a performance of the bunker. That was a ton of fun, so... I'm there. Yeah, that takeover was actually really lovely to watch. Um, that it was cool to get a, a smidge lit of a bit more insight into the the mechanics of the whole thing there. Um, so thank you guys very much for doing doing that on Twitter and of course the um, uh, no pro takeover there. Um, so yeah. Oh yeah, that was fun. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation, you guys. Um, I very much appreciate both of you being willing and being able to take the time to be on the show um, and, of course, share some insights with myself and our audience. Um, our pleasure. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Yeah, thank you. This was fantastic. Guys, have a wonderful evening. And, of course, everything that we discussed in the show can be found at immersionation.com slash podcast. And until next time, thank you for listening. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Immersion Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure. <laughs>